Welcome to the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast, where we talk everything bluegrass from the Maritimes and beyond. If you like bluegrass in old time country, you're sure to hear something that you like. From G runs and double stops to banjo kicks and mandolin chops. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast. Your host, as always, Doug Proctor, here in cloudy and rainy Churro today, Nova Scotia. Well, folks, we're going to get right into it. I have a good interview today with the bass player of the Spinney Brothers Bluegrass Band from Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Their bass player makes his home in Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, and he's originally from the New Brunswick area. Uh, He's probably familiar to a few of you listeners. His name is Terry Poirier. And Terry and I got into a great conversation at length about, you know, bluegrass in general and how he got into bluegrass and how he ever made the adventure from um, New Brunswick to Kentucky, where he met his wife and now lives. And that itself is quite a story, so I hope you folks enjoy that. Um, It's quite a long interview, folks, so I'm going to just try to get right to the nitty-gritty of what's been happening. And uh, I'll have another episode out here in the near future with the award show preview. Speaking of the award show, um, this episode is brought to you by the Down East Bluegrass and Old Time Music Society, who's hosting the Eastern Canadian Bluegrass Music Awards at CEC in Truro on October 15th. The doors open at 7 p.m. Hope to see you all there. You can get tickets at ticketmaster.ca or by visiting downeastgrass.com for more details. All right, folks, well, we've had the announcements here in the Maritimes. It is IBMA week down south, which I know there's a lot of people from around here that's traveled down to IBMA to attend the festivities. Um, And just coinciding with that, this week, our Eastern Canadian Bluegrass Music Awards show, who's a proud sponsor of the podcast, has... uh, announced who will be playing and the nominees for all the awards at the uh, at the show. So I know playing this year will be the Bluegrass Unit from uh, the South Shore area, String Theory from the Clare area, uh, Next Generation Band, the Bluegrass Diamonds, Monroe, and Janet McGarry and Wildwood. And that's quite a broad spectrum of groups from all over the Maritimes. Folks, it seems that there's someone in there from just about everywhere of those few bands that seem to be playing. Uh, they also announced all the nominees for the awards this year. So I'll take just a moment and tell everybody who got nominated for which award, because my next episode may feature a preview edition of the award show, and I'll also be doing some live broadcasting from there to do some podcasts in the future. So that weekend at the Glengarry, have a look out for me if you're there and you're listening and you want to. Uh, be an interviewee or you just want to say something i'll be doing a little bit of promotion there on the weekend for the podcast so this year's um banjo player of the year nominees are greg hamilton from the oxbow mountain boys justin noss from the bluegrass unit and darren Richard from bluegrass tradition bass player of the year nominees karen de coast bluegrass tradition brian haslett from shadow river and Terry Mumford from A New Shade of Blue. Dobro Player of the Year nominees are Frank Duty, George Grant, and Phil Harris. Fiddle Player of the Year, Rod Blair from the Oxbow Mountain Boys, Matt Hayes of Monroe, and Lucas Monroe from Shadow River. Guitar Player of the Year nominees are Charlie Bork from the Oxbow Mountain Boys, David Doyle from Shadow River, and Jeff Noss from the Bluegrass Unit. The Mandolin Player of the Year nominees are Richard Burke from Monroe, Waylon Robichaux from Shadow River and the Bluegrass Unit, collectively, and Al Ryan from the Oxbow Mountain Boys. Male Vocalist of the Year nominees are Trevor Bootlier from Bluegrass Tradition, Shane Duthright from the Duthrights Band and Highway Train, and David Doyle from Shadow River. Female Vocalist of the Year nominees are Karen DeCoast from Bluegrass Tradition, Belinda Hamilton from Powder Blue, and Vicki Votor from
from Acoustic Heartstrings. Individual Entertainer of the Year nominees are Serge Bernard from Janet McGarry and Wildwood, Vincent Cormier from the Bluegrass Diamonds, Roger Gauvin from the Bluegrass Diamonds, Brian Hazlitt from Shadow River, and Terry Mumford from A New Shade of Blue. Vocal Group of the Year nominees Bluegrass Tradition, Next Generation, Shadow River. Gospel Performance of the Year nominations are Janet McGarry and Wildwood, Next Generation, and Shadow River. Most Promising Band of the Year nominees are <clears throat> the Oxbow Mountain Boys, New Vintage, and the Bluegrass Unit. Band of the Year nominees Bluegrass Tradition, the Oxbow Mountain Boys, and Shadow River. Recording of the Year nominations Bluegrass Tradition, Shadow River, and Simply Blue. Nominees for Composer of the Year, Karen DeCoast, Ryan Dillman, and Waylon Robichaux. Nominees for Promoter of the Year are Denisha Como, Russell LeBlanc, and Ward Robichaux. MC of the Year nominees, Wayne Dugas, Brian Hazlitt, and Kyle Smith. Radio TV DJ of the Year, Jonathan Krauss. From CJHK 100.7 Bridgewater, Nova Scotia, Edgar Duguay, The Bluegrass Hour, CHRQ 106.9 FM, Listigou, Quebec, and Nancy Ketty from Bluegrass Atlantic, CIOE 97.5 FM, Sackville, Nova Scotia. And folks, that's a whole list of all the nominees. And um, congratulations to every single one of them, and good luck, and hopefully we'll see you all at the award show on October the 15th. And without further ado, folks, I'm going to get right to the interview with Terry Poirier. Like I said, we go at it at length here, folks, so I hope you folks uh, are ready to have a listen. And I'll be back at the end of the interview with a short little uh, preview of what's going to be coming up next for the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast. All right, folks. Well, Maritime Bluegrass Podcast. We have our first non-NOS guest for the podcast on episode four. Uh, bass player for the Spinny Brothers, Mr. Terry Poirier. How you doing, Terry? Thanks for being on the uh, podcast. I'm I'm doing good, actually. Uh, I kind of flagged you down on this. Uh, what was it last week or a few weeks ago? That's right. And uh, what a world trip! that was i believe it you were on uh quite a spell there when i saw you at your parents house i think the first time. well i saw you somewhere playing in fort fairfield i think and then we ran into you at your parents house and you were telling me about the whirlwind of the trip why don't you tell them uh what you've been up to lately with uh, the spinney brothers well let's see back in july we played in uh in vancouver island oh wow that was fun to see the West Coast. I had been to California, to Oregon, Washington State. Right on. And made it as far as uh, lived just a small community just north of the Washington uh, BC line, but never really further north. So this was really cool. Flew in the Victoria. And then we played an hour north of there, and you can pretty much see every kind of scenery you'd want to see. Nice. You've got flat land, you've got lakes, you've got mountains, you drive in mountains. It's just really spectacular. For, for the first time being in an actual area in BC, that was really cool. Man, I've never been out that way out west at all. The farthest I've ever made it be Ontario, I guess. And uh, that's, uh, I wonder if that's something when you were first learning how to play, you ever thought, did you know back then when you first started, which I'm going to ask you about here in a minute, but that you would eventually see almost all of uh, the Canada and the United States and wherever else playing music. Was that something you always wanted to do? or? Actually, it was. Uh, as, as you well know, I grew up in this 
music infested family where everybody does something. That's an understatement too. That's severe. And I'll let you tell everybody about that in a minute. So, um, the, uh, yeah, so that's awesome. Even from an early age, well, you were, like you said, you were probably engulfed in music right from an early age. So let's actually get into that. So in case anybody who doesn't know Terry, who listens to the show, I highly doubt there's going to be many, but to know where he comes from and who his family uh, history is, but I'll get into that. Before I do, I did have on Facebook and Twitter, I asked any of my fans, as little of them as there may be, or as many, if they had any questions or anything to send in. And the really the only one we got was Ryan Dillman wrote in and asked if you liked crunchy or smooth peanut butter. And I thought it was such a good question that I'd make sure I added it on here with his name included to it. So the one fan asked question, Terry, was, is it crunchy or is it smooth peanut butter or do we have a peanut allergy and there's, it's all butter or whatever that stuff's called? Um, no, actually, crunchy peanut butter I like in peanut butter balls. But for the rest of it, it's got to be smooth. Excellent. There you go, Ryan. That was the <laughs> for the fans who sent in the questions. We know who you are, and uh, I hope that answers the mystery to Terry's uh, peanut butter eating habits. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, but anyways, I'm quite familiar with you and your family and all, and everything like that. But why don't you tell them like what was your first interest in playing? Like, go right back to when you can remember. You know, first really knowing that you like the music or what you remember right up until whenever, if you want. And we'll get into stuff about the spinnies and that later, but, you know, just let them know a little bit if they don't know already. My first recollection of music actually happened in the living room. And it involved my dad's complicated stereo. Because you know how everything is so simplified now. Yeah. Everything in one unit, you got a remote control. This, this thing was huge. Had a great big, a great big um, uh, amplifier with all the different functions. There was an equalizer with it. You had a separate record player, a separate cassette deck. Um, he had a reel-to-reel, oh, wow. two-track. Uh, Toshiba, I believe, was the first one that he had, and it was a top load. So he put the put the reels on the top, and he'd feed it through and play it. He had a whole bunch of those reels with no labels. Oh, yay. And I knew what was on every single one of them. <laughs> He'd be asking me, what, what, which, which one's which? <laughs> uh, here's Jimmy Martin, Dad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and um, the, other, the, the other thing was the coffee table. Our coffee table in the living room, I would walk around that thing I actually wore out carpets walking around that coffee table while listening to music wow man i believe it though like besides even listening um it's funny that you say that you know i wouldn't have expected you to come out with the playing of recorded music to be your first recollection i thought it might be like you know listening to your dad play or something like that in the front room but it's funny that you go to that because it, it you know um, what would have been like the first instrument that you picked up when you, uh, after you, or actually, where did you get started in actually playing? If, if you remember that being your first interest in, in actually getting into music, when did you start playing? I was four. Oh, wow. On piano. Hmm. My dad would play fiddle tunes and I'd just sit there and chord fiddle tunes, that Irish tunes, old time tunes. That's awesome. I actually, uh, I really enjoy listening to that type of music when you get out because, uh, like with bluegrass, a lot of people are, can still be somewhat very in the vein that it has to be an acoustic music and, and maybe the piano isn't something obviously you never hear in bluegrass, but those old fiddle tunes when done right with piano, man, I love that. That's a great, mm -hmm. it sounds awesome. You know, yeah. um, there's a couple from around here, uh, Clifford Manley and his wife, Maxine, I believe they play down here in Churro and that's, what they do with the piano and the fiddle. And I, I really enjoy it. Uh, that old time fiddle music done like that. So, um, the piano was your first, was your first instrument. And, yeah, uh, we had an upright piano and all of the, uh, it was a player piano actually where the guts were taken out, but you couldn't turn the switch and have it play. 
right. there's nothing there. So I just sit there and play it. And I remember I broke a string. I used to pound on, there was a low D note. I used to literally pound on it. <laughs> and by pounding on it, it actually broke a string. Oh my goodness, that would have made some racket. <laughs> there was some racket coming from other places after that happened too. <laughs> I believe that. <laughs> oh jeepers. Um, well, if, if so, did you play in a band with your dad at first? Like when you first started actually playing? And I mean, uh, was just bluegrass and, and things like that you played at first, I would think. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Uh, actually, yes. Now, as far as the piano goes, um, let's see. I played the Caledonia Festival, I believe I was like six years old. Huh. And they had a piano there because one of the bands that was playing came from the Matagan area, I, as I recall. Um, and my dad would literally just had me go up on stage and play. Now, that's the first time I remember playing on stage was at Cal Caledonia Festival, and I think that would have been 81 or 82 when that happened. Wow. I wasn't even my, born yet. My feet weren't even touching the floor. <laughs> I was sitting on this piano bench, and they were just kind of floating. And the second time I played on stage was at the uh, uh, Ivan Hicks used to have, but still has, a super fiddle show. Huh. Yeah, that's right. I know about that. I see the advertising sports every year, I think. Is it once a year? Yes, in, in May, usually. And there was one year where it was my dad, myself, and I think my brother Richard and my oldest brother Robert. Wow. That were playing with them because he had written some tunes and we were uh, playing those that night kind of as a featured artist for the super fiddle show man that's cool now tell me what that'd be like um just becoming a father myself so i know what it's like to be able to just just learning what it's like to be able to do stuff with my kids like for your dad and your mom too um like being able to play with all their sons at once must have been cool to be able to do it because you guys never really that i remember now i get into bluegrass late but he never had a band where you all played as full-time members and have like recording out or am I wrong with that? No, that didn't come along till much later. Right. And uh, the first recording that we did, there was the Eddie Poirier and Sons album that he did. That was all fiddle tunes that he wrote. And I believe I was 12 when that happened. Oh, wow. But we didn't really tour with that. He basically put it out, and then whoever he had in the band at the time, he just played two or three tunes from it right. and incorporate that into the show. But it, the recording as such was literally Eddie Poirier and Sons. Cool. Now, is that still available? Like, I know I've been to seen Eddie play countless times, but to go to the CD table, it's always full of everything. Like, he's got so many different releases out. Um, is that one one? I don't ever remember seeing it on the CD table, at least in the last couple of years. Right. I can't remember if he still got that one available or not. Well, I guess I'm thinking as if you live right beside him or something when <laughs> you live down in Lexington, Kentucky. So, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, let me, well, everybody who, who's here is listening for Terry. Terry's dad's Eddie Poirier, well-renowned, uh, musician here in the Maritimes. For those of you who don't know, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure if you go on YouTube or anything, if you're interested listening to any of Terry's family, especially his dad or even his nephew, Brian's your nephew, right? Yes. Yeah. That's like the Poirier. Yeah. Robert's, Robert's son. If you go on YouTube and just type their names in, believe it or not, you'll see quite a bit come up and you'll get to see what Terry's talking about by being, uh, engulfed in music from the day he was basically, uh, started breathing air probably um <laughs> but the uh so now you live down in kentucky and you're married down there to your wife holly and uh, uh -huh. how did you go about moving down to the states and what was your what was your reason for going there were you did, did you guys meet or did you meet once you got there what was the whole reason behind that that is uh 
that's a an interesting story. Oh, that's a perfect. that's a whole that's a whole journey, basically. <laughs> um, back when I was when I became a teenager, um, my brother Robert gave me some music outside of bluegrass to listen to, and part of that was James Taylor. Nice who has influenced a lot of different people in his 40, close to 50-year career. And that's how I discovered where James Taylor and people like Bruce Hornsby, yep. even though they don't play anything sounding close to bluegrass, they have these elements in their songwriting and their singing that fall into the folk realm and they somehow manage to make the music that's pleasant absolutely bluegrass is always pleasant bluegrass is the only style of music you can literally sing about killing with swords knives guns uh, Knoxville Girl is a perfect example. Yep. The melody is so happy, yet the story is so brutally sad. You don't find that in any kind of other kind of music. Correct. <laughs> that, that You couldn't say that any better. We played a gospel set, and, um, you know, people asked for this request. They wanted to hear Joe sing this, uh, George Jones, If Drinking Don't Kill Me, Her Memory Will. So that's the request they want, and you can throw those in there, and, you know, it's not a gospel song, but people love it just as much. They don't realize what exactly you're singing about, you know? So it's just that they like the music, and, and you couldn't say that any better. So, yeah, continue on there. You're saying about James Taylor and, and how you were so, getting to Kentucky, yeah. James Taylor, his unofficial website was maintained by a fellow named Joe, uh, Joel... I, I want to say Riseburg, I think from Los Angeles. And he, his unofficial website was one of the first to have a chat room, an HTML chat room. This was 1994. It was cutting edge. Right. And there was literally probably between 50 and 100 different people that I would talk to from around the world that either loved James saw his shows or there was a boatload of guitar players that would go there looking for tips on how to play because his approach in playing is completely different because he's self-taught so these people that knew tablature they'd look at that and they go what is he doing because his his fingering was different so then you got all these people are all going in there and they're asking questions on how do you do this and how do you do that because they couldn't figure it out and then these friendships start through chat rooms so and I was in Quebec at the time I had gone to Quebec for two years I lived in Drummondville Um, I was in the jazz program wanting to go into their recording engineer program which they never let me do so I turned around went back to New Brunswick when I wouldn't get whatever I wanted so (laughs) in that time I was actually still dating my ex and Holly came into the chat room she was from here in Kentucky and we talked maybe 20 minutes half an hour once twice a week randomly and uh, finally when I when I moved back home I married my ex and that lasted a whole year and a half and it was done oh, jeepers. So I moved back to the house trying to figure out how am I gonna get on the internet with two computers in the house. This was right in the very beginning of networking. Right. So my brother Robert called me. I was in, I was at the uh, uh, Evangeline Festival in PEI. I was playing there, running sound with my dad. And he said, there's a router at Walmart. I can get that and I can get the, the card, buy it, and then install it when you get back next week and we'll see how it works. I said, all right, sounds good. So I started, the whole time I kept going to the jamestaylor.com website 
and Holly hadn't gone in from the time I left Quebec right up to that time when I played that festival in Evangeline there was six years we had no contact Wow. No, no email address no phone number no nothing she comes in there start talking recognize the name but I couldn't put my finger on it and then she asked me that there was two different names that she used to sign in as there was Blue Moon and there was Hallelujah I didn't remember Blue Moon well, I remembered Blue Moon and that was the one that was like eh. I remember seeing it but right couldn't put my finger on it then she asked me if I remembered the name Hallelujah and I'm like yep I remember that name she said that's me and that's when my jaw dropped <laughs> I was separated from my ex I wasn't divorced yet but I was separated so we started talking back and forth and discovered through talking that we had classic TV in common uh, she's big into uh, Three's Company she watches um, anything with Don Knotts uh, Lucille Ball yep that whole era of TV, which is much better than what there is for the most part now. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And my favorite show has always been the Andy Griffith show because of, of course, Barney Fife. Right. Being Don Knotts. So that sparked a quite an interest. And then start digging a little bit digger she used to go to bluegrass festivals with her grandparents and hadn't gone in a long time so what we did was after a whole year of talking online back and forth getting to know each other well enough to be able to meet and i flew here wow or my that was my first time on a plane flew from Moncton to newark new jersey to Cleveland to Louisville and she, <laughs> and she lived in Lexington so her dad and herself went to Louisville it's an hour and 20 minutes from here to the airport picked me up and the first day we went to the first full day we went to a horse farm because around Lexington all the outskirts if you go to Versailles if you go to Nicholasville to Paris that's all you see are fields with horses and horse farms where these barns typically are in better shape than the houses that are on those properties wow and many of the horses that you will see at these horse farms have been in the kentucky derby i was going to ask you that yeah i figured because of the horse racing is very big down there i would absolutely assume i have never been to kentucky but someday i will get there and get to visit rosine and all the little tourist things that bluegrass people want to do when they're there and um i'll probably get to see some of that that's cool so that was the first meet now before i went home that trip we actually ended up falling in love wow it was and and third time out was partially responsible for that <laughs> perfect the old songs you can never get away from those <laughs> <laughs> and ironically enough, we were at the Festival of the Bluegrass, which is over at the Horse Park, which is 20 minutes from my house. Nice. They've got the uh, the Kentucky Horse Park race field, and then they have they also have uh, buildings there for equestrian horse stuff, mm. and they also have the campground, which is next to that. That's where they hold the Festival of the Bluegrass. That's put on by the Cornets, who also are responsible for the uh, Music of the Swanee Festival. Okay. In Florida, it's the same same people. And I hadn't seen Third Time Out since they played Moncton the first time. It was like 2001. Over at the Capitol Theater, they had played. Wow. So that... The first day we were at the festival, I was there with Holly, and then I had already started broadcasting for WorldWideBluegrass.com, which I did for seven years. That's right. I used to listen to that all the time. 
and I was responsible for all kinds of things. I was webmaster, so all the updates that you saw on the website back back in the day, that was all me that updated that. I was station librarian, so all the music that was coming in for the station, I'd rip that into the computer and upload it to a library. That was wow. password protected for all the DJs. Plus, I was doing the show and all kinds of other, I was doing training using Winamp with a plug-in in order to train DJs in order to get the broadcast out there. So my volunteer time was basically I was getting paid nothing, but the hours of volunteer work was really monumental. I believe Cause that. Because that's pretty much, if I wasn't on the road with Newtown, which I'll get into that in a second as well, if it wasn't, if I wasn't on the road, I was basically on the computer like hours a day doing something, wow. which was absolutely crazy. I believe that that would make my head just pound. <laughs> I love, you know, don't get me wrong. I find the internet quite a convenience and everything. I love surfing YouTube and I love the convenience and everything with it. But to have an office job where I or something where I'd have to stare at a computer eight hours a day, like my head, I would just have a headache so much every day. I know it. Yeah, so anyway, going back to this third time out thing, we had been under the broadcast and for a good part of the day, and Gracie Muldoon, who ran the whole station, she looked at the two of us and said, why don't you go for a walk? I said, all right. And they have a pavilion at the horse park, which is probably two or 300 feet in front of the stage. So we went and sat on the edge of that. The third time out was just coming on. They did their first song. Clear night, beautiful out there, and the moon was really bright. So in between these songs, Steve Dilling was playing banjo a third time out back then. He did all the talking. Right. We're sitting there, and I'm looking up at the moon, and I look at her and this doing this whole serenade thing, getting her confused like she had never been confused before <laughs> and went through a whole spiel of stuff when all of a sudden Justin kicks off Blue Moon in Kentucky on the fiddle and it took her the whole intro and the whole first verse to figure out what just happened right and she was like did you know that they were going to do this song. I'm like, it's been like five, six years since I saw them last. I hadn't even talked to them before the show. So I had no idea what they were going to do. And she was so mesmerized by that, that in the end of things, she couldn't talk to me for the rest of the night. She was just that, she was that overwhelmed by what just happened. That I was looking at the moon and yeah, moon to Kentucky and the whole thing you know and the next morning we had a little bit of a chat and then went out in the kitchen and she opened up the freezer door she said so uh, what do you want for breakfast so well, what do you got she said oh we got cereal up here in the counter we got eggs and we got ham and we got Eggo waffles I'll have some Eggo waffles so she takes them out of a box put them on a plate and she says here you go here's your breakfast I said aren't you going to put them in the toaster first <laughs> 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 and the rest is history yeah i was gonna say the what's that bill ingvall says here's your sign and i think <laughs> that's uh that's exactly what happened there man that's awesome that's a great story um it's it's good to hear that vicky and i met not similar ways but you know it, it's almost a story in itself i won't get into it because it'll take the whole podcast and i want people to um you know have uh, time to learn about you so um so there you go folks terry explained how he ended up in Kentucky. That's the song. I think that's how I got to Kentucky. Well, that's how he got there. Um, but he's the full-time bass player in the Spinney Brothers. But before that, he actually played bass full-time, I believe. That was basically your job to play in Newtown, which is a band from Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Junior Williams and Katie Penn are your regulars. I will say they've been around for the band's entire tenure including their new album, Harlan Road, I believe it's called. It's getting some great reviews that I see. So um, how did you ever end up playing with those guys? That is also an interesting story. While I was separated, um, 
2005 was really an interesting year for me with all these different things happening and stuff. And Newfound Road went and played the Rollo Bay Festival. Right. And I had heard, I first learned of Newfound Road through a gospel bluegrass radio program that a local fellow was doing in Moncton called the Bluegrass, uh, I think the, the, the Gospel Hour or something along those lines, something simple like that. And he'd play the Isaacs, and he'd play the Easter Brothers, and he'd play uh, Newfound Road. Uh, he would play Doyle Austin Quicksilver and play nothing but bluegrass gospel. And this is where I heard of Newfound Road, which next year I believe they're doing a reunion show of the last configuration, which does not include Junior Williams. Oh, what a shame. Um, just off that for just a second, I listened to Justin Moses' podcast, and he had an episode with Tim Shelton that I just listened to, who is a, a member of Newfound Road, I assume, by his way he talked. I didn't recognize the name, but after the podcast was over, he talked a lot about Junior Williams and how he was a great singer and a great tenor singer, and he said that guy was born to blend and stuff. So, you know, that's a shame they won't have him on, but but continue on. I just add my little pieces in as we go. (laughs) (laughs) So they ended up at Rollo Bay Festival, and I hadn't heard anything previous of Newfound Road from any of the band members, but then discovered that he was part of the Bishop's Southern Gospel Band for quite a few years playing bass, guitar, banjo, whatever. Okay. And they put out one bluegrass album it was two brothers and a dad and mark still is active in the southern gospel the dad he quit totally and mark's brother kenny actually works in frankfort kentucky for the state legislator wow on the democratic side quite a job change <laughs> I would say yes. So then, Junior actually started out as a guitar player, and when he learned banjo, he learned it from a guitar player's perspective. Right. So there's a lot of banjo licks that he plays that's not the norm. Nothing wrong with that. That's actually probably a good thing, right? But it really works. It makes him stand out because he's different. Absolutely. And he's so good at it. And when I met Junior, that was a real fan back then of Newfound Road. And it's just one of those things, hey, how you doing? Had a conversation, had a little bit of a jam. Yep. So, plus we were all playing stage with our individual bands so he had a chance to hear what I was doing and I had a chance to hear what he was doing with Newfound Road and when I moved down here my intention was to just join up with a band and casually play right for a whole year when I did the uh, when I did the entire um, immigration thing that must have been fun it's a two-year-plus process, and until I got the green card, I could not do anything where there was a trail. Right. Everything had to be basically cash under the table. Maybe I should delete that out of this. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But anyway. Yep. Um, Katie was in need of a bass player. She had got rid of her previous bass player. And when I moved down, I put a spiel on Facebook and MySpace. Right. Which was the whole legit thing before Facebook literally took the world over. That's right. And MySpace went bye-bye. And I put on there, just looking for some people to pick with. Doesn't have to be anything that pays right now. I'm just kind of feeling my way through here. I'm new to the area and would like to play with somebody and I did that probably two or three days after I moved down here 
which evidently actually it's it's been eight years as of two days ago oh wow i moved down here and i got a message from katie penn i had no idea who she was but she was dating junior at cool. the time um no actually she had married junior three months before i did uh, before i got married to holly okay and that was in September of 07, so it's all, it'll be nine years at the end of the month that I've been married to Holly. Oh, cool. Congratulations. Hey. Our anniversary is this Sunday. We'll be married six years to the 18th. Sweet. Yeah, man. Goes by fast. Oh, yeah. And Katie and Junior got married, I believe it was June 30th of the same year. So when I moved down, they were already married and stuff. Junior was still playing with Newfound Road. And Katie had started Katie Penn Band. Right. Well, she, she was had, like a child, uh, child uh, in the child all-star band there at one time when she was a lot younger. I think I remember seeing some YouTube videos. So she's always played even when she was a youngster, I believe. So. Oh, yeah. She's played pretty much all her life as well. So she got in touch with me on Facebook or MySpace. I can't remember which. And she was looking for a bass player to go to IBMA. <laughs> of course, I hadn't gone to IBMA before. So for me, that was a whole new... It was a whole new adventure just going for like three days and cool. doing these after hour showcases that went into the night right half the day or try to sleep half the day which literally you can't because when your first ibma experience you don't sleep i've never been there yet i plan on going in the next couple of years because uh i want to attend it it's something that i i should have been to already for sure vicky and i need to go Actually, IBMA has been quoted as, I've been almost, um, I've been, I've been mostly awake. Right. <laughs> nice. And this goes on for almost a week. <laughs> wow. So you can imagine the exhaustion that you get toward the end of the week. Right, right, when everything's probably at its peak. Oh, yeah. So... Jesus. She, she was like, could you do that? I'm like, uh, yeah, I can do that. So I had everything packed up that one morning, but we didn't go till night. Right. That was a long day of waiting. I was so hyper. And uh, so that was my first, my first stuff with Katie was actually at IBMA. <laughs> Junior, Junior had brought over a CD of her new stuff. It, had, it was coming out that week. And he's like, here, take a listen to this. And, uh, well, I'm pretty sure you'll do all right. So I spent 24 hours listening to this album over and over again. And I got there. And I literally scared everybody that she had playing with her. Like, well, Because of the way you looked or because of how good you did or... They couldn't believe it. I had listened to that album maybe 10 times and just went there, took the bass, tuned it up. They went through the tunes and each other, were look they were all looking at each other and going, where'd he come from? How does he know all that? Yep. <laughs> I've heard that about you, though, different times, though, that you, uh, you know, you have one of those memories where it's like, I don't even know the right proper term, but like. If you hear something not very many times, you're going to know it, like, that you can identify notes. Like, I don't know if they call it perfect pitch or whatever they call it, but basically if I could hold a fart long enough, you could tell me what note it was. So we won't <laughs> well, try that, but... <laughs> perfect pitch is something that I have. Now, okay. It's, it's The statistic is 1 in 10,000 have it. Wow. I got it. Michael Cleveland has it. Cool. And there's probably a few others, but that's... There's only me and him that I'm aware of in the bluegrass world that literally have it. I saw a post yesterday from Becky Buller that she has two guys in her band, both named Dan, that both have it. She said, what are the odds of that? You know, so. <laughs> they, perfect pitch people make great sound guys. I believe that. <laughs> Does it work with the frequencies and stuff too? So if you hear something bad, you know what to cut or what to boost if you have to or? exactly nice man exactly and i've done that for 30 years well and it's not like you was gonna say it's not like you don't have the experience in that anyway you know i've seen you at old mill just 
focus straight ahead, staring out at your dad from the from the monitor board, then a big head shake, stare back out, right? So I figured you're trying to get him to cut something if he wasn't <laughs> listed or whatever. I remember that. I do. <laughs> so basically, you got the job rated IBMA. They were impressed, and, and you were hired probably right then. Pretty much. And I and remember... It it took three months for them to figure out that I sang. <laughs> well, I can remember you, I was going to say, when you guys came up here to Nova Scotia, to the Nova Scotia Festival that time. That's the first time I really ever remember actually introducing myself to you and being able to speak with you at length rather than just a passing hello. And, right. Uh, you, uh, I remember them saying that they didn't know you sang and you, you did that song on the album that was like probably one of the most my favorite ones on that album, the Angelina, I think it's called, or Angelita. Yeah, Angelita. I, I like that one a lot on that record, and um, and then of course the staple, doing my time. They always, you know, I don't know if it doesn't matter who I see you play with or where it's. You always seem to come out with that one at least once a festival if you have more than one or two sets. It's kind right. of your. I see Brian singing it now too. It's almost like it's passed down the Poirier. Uh, the bloodline and it's uh, going to remain in the family per se. But uh, now they, um, they were, how long were you with those guys? I was with them for five and a half years. Wow. Now I remember when you guys were here, you had CJ Kane and you had James key as well as Katie and junior. Were uh-huh. they members the whole tenure until they left or were, were there uh, other? Yeah. The whole time I was there. Right on. I see that James, he, he kind of went out on, with the Hamilton Ramblers, I think their name is, and CJ and them are in the, the uh, Hamilton County Ramblers. Yeah, and then CJ's playing with the Wooks. Yes. And they Actually, won the Rocky Grab. album is uh, coming out here. I just got it in the mail from the record label uh, a couple of days ago, and cool. I haven't heard it yet. I haven't had time. You say that was James's uh, band's and record? James, and James' album... That one came out a few months ago. Excellent. I see. Uh, they, did, they did something like 24 or 25 dates in Ireland here recently. Wow, man. <laughs> That's, uh, actually, I think I remember seeing some pictures of that on Facebook or whatnot. And, uh, that's good the boys are still doing this. Like those, they were really nice people when we met them up here with you that time. And, um, I always followed them. I had them my friends on Facebook. And uh, try to keep up with that. Same with Katie and Junior. You know, I really like Junior's banjo playing um, and his singing. But the way he kind of didn't come off as, you know, as good as he was, he didn't come off as one of those guys who would ever tell you that or act that way. Like, he was just this regular dude. And uh, I really liked that about the guy. He'd sit there and, and chat with you about football or college basketball. And, anything. Yeah, it was awesome. I really liked him. He was a good dude, man. Um, I, used to, I used to ride shotgun with him all the time because the rest of the band, they go in the back of the van and go to sleep. Right. That would be, <laughs> that's what I would be doing too, man. I'd be a driver. I'd be staying up if I had to do that for a living, which I don't. <laughs> thank goodness. Like, uh, not that you don't dream of it, but I just don't think it would suit me well being on the road all the time. Um, but you seem to enjoy it, you know, because um, from them, you actually five and a half years and then you ended up making the move. Who would have ever thought that the guy from Kentucky from New Brunswick could ever end up playing full-time with a bluegrass band from Nova Scotia? When you left for Kentucky eight years ago, I can guarantee that was not something you thought would happen. No. Well, you go down these roads and you take these turns, and sometimes you don't expect these turns to come. But when they come around, you got to grab it. Well, that's it, because it only comes once, right? And, uh... Some well, maybe not, but you never know. You can't, and and you're right in that time in your life. You're not too old, and you live down there where they're playing mainly, right? Seems like it's a good gig for you. Did you like? How was the transition from playing in Newtown to playing with Vinnie Brothers? Uh, for me, the transition was actually pretty easy because the the fact that I listen to so many different styles of music, um. From jazz to Celtic to soft rock James to Taylor. James Taylor, Bruce Hornsby, all of those things that I listen to, I listen to them with the purpose of maybe I'll have to play it sometime in the future. Right. So 
Spinney's being much more traditional than Katie. Katie's more in the progressive... Contemporary. Contemporary, which that's great as well. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of room for a lot of stuff. And playing with Katie actually was fun in several different ways. She might be contemporary, but there was always enough traditional that we adapted to how it could work for us to keep it interesting. Right. And the reason why I say that, there's one night I remember clearly, we had gone to play in Fort Myers, uh, Florida, at a festival. And the night before, we played this little place that could seat like 20 people. And CJ got food poisoning. Oh, wonderful. So we're in the middle of playing a song, all of a sudden, CJ disappears. And we don't see him for the rest of the night. <laughs> Great. So we're up there, and we used to finish off with Uncle Penn. Right. No what happens? With, what happens with the G run if the guitar player's not there? Somebody's got to do it. I did the G run. Nice. <laughs> On the bass every time it came around. <laughs> <laughs> there are people going, "How do you do that?" Well, to them, that's you know, some people they wouldn't even understand. Some of them might not even catch what's going on, right? I just, I just do it. <laughs> and when you, when you've got the actual bass technique with your fingers spread out, and you know exactly what notes you have to get, it don't matter how slow or fast, you can do anything. Right. <laughs> I get what you're saying because it's not like a dobro or something. You've got to move that bar to do it. You can actually have your fingers positioned and walk right down and and get what you need, or or jump strings like you know that's that's the, why you're a bass player and why you probably do it full time. That that particular G run we used to do it in A, so it's perfect. You start in a B and you hammer on C C sharp. Yeah, you start with the B note. So you hammer on um, the C and the C sharp, and then grab the D note for the E. So it's you're grabbing one note. Two hammer-ons, another note, two other hammer-ons, and another note. Nice. And, and you're walking up. It's real easy to do once you figure it out. And I've known how to do that for years. Well, and I laugh because you're just right there trying to make the uh, the noises of the notes, and I'm almost guaranteeing they're exactly the right notes because of what you told me before. <laughs> you know, they're not. When you went up to, oh, you got to go up to the. I won't even make the note because it'll probably annoy you because it'll be wrong. But that I I know those were right. That's awesome. That made me laugh. Oh, jeepers. Uh, um, let me ask you something else without taking you off topic. I could talk to you for two hours probably. Um, while working with the Spinnies, they always have a work ethic where they try to release an album just about every year, right? So, year to year. Now. Yeah. So the last couple albums. Now you've played on how many albums of them with them as of right now? Two. So the last two records, which have been really successful for you guys as a group. Um, what is your plans for your new album? Is there one in the works yet? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Well, I know your last name is Borier, not Spinny. So you may <laughs> be the last to get the memo. But um, what's, the, what's the usual process then? Since I, I, I know you've recorded with them. Where do they normally go to record? If that's if you if that's not classified information or anything, but like where do they go to record? And do you guys do much pre-production or anything like that? How's your process usually go to recording with the Spinny Brothers? Um, they fly me in to Halifax. The recording itself usually is done at Alan's place. He's got a nice big attic. Nice. And they put baffles up and they set it all up. And I'm, a, I'm actually isolated from the guys, but I'm in the same space as Ron Stewart. Ron Stewart records and produces. Nice. And then he overdubs some stuff, some fiddle and stuff, at his studio yep. in Indiana. And what they'll do is, the last one, they sent me MP3s of just, like, work files. Right. 
and I'd listen to those, get a feel of what's going on, kind of learn them at the same time to speed up that process. Then they fly me in, and we go over all of those songs the day before. So they hear what I have to offer as right. far as bass lines and stuff the day before we record. That's uh, That means they trust you, I would assume. Then we go to record, and I believe we did all 12 tracks in one day. Wow, man. That's that awesome. All the bass, all the guitar, all the mandolin chops. Yep. And the only thing that had to be done afterwards was banjo, which is done later. But the basic rhythm tracks were all done in one day. Wow, so let me ask you something now. We just did our... our ep that we recorded so here you say the banjo gets cut afterwards which i'm i'm not saying doesn't happen but we we use it live we, we record it with a click you guys must have had a click obviously right uh we did yeah okay now every some people may laugh because oh well everybody uses a click some people don't you know some people let their music uh breathe a little bit but i found using the click was right on the money but we still did banjo which was isolated and bass and guitar um all at once we did the three of them with a click, but all separate. So, you know, it could be overdubbed or whatever if we need to do it. Um, so what do you guys do live? Guitar and bass and mandolin chop? Like you, yeah. So do you have Alan and then, sing? And then, and then Rick is downstairs. He's doing scratch vocals. I was going to say, yeah, we get like, Vicky will sing for us or whatever. Man, that's cool. And then, uh, so, and you say, so minus a banjo. And you guys basically cut that in one day and then a few overdubs here and there. That's awesome. Yep. And so Ron Stewart, well, he must, how long does he usually arrive and stay for? Just a few days, I would think. Usually three to four days. Nice. Well, at least, like you said, the boys have been doing that long enough that their process is down. They're putting out, you guys are putting out top-notch records that sound awesome and are getting rave reviews online, on the radio. IBMA, well, you guys, in my opinion, you guys got some nominations. and. Uh, Maybe because I'm a homebody there from Nova Scotia, I think you guys should have won maybe once or twice before. But, you know, that's maybe I'm a bit biased, Terry. But, uh, you know, what you guys are doing is awesome. And uh, I'm really glad to see that somebody finally took the leap as far as Rick and Alan and Gary at first and uh, decided that they're going to be a band from the Maritimes that try to make it professionally. And I believe you guys and them have all done it and done it quite well. You definitely represent Canada. As a whole, I believe on the, as far as international, when it comes to IBMA, you guys definitely put the I in IBMA, that's for sure. Um, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing? Like, do you have any websites or anything, like any dates you guys have coming up maybe you'd want to plug? So if anybody's listening, this will probably come out in about a week, maybe a week and a half from now. So if you, you know, if it's tomorrow, they probably won't hear that, but, you know. <laughs> Which evidently I am going out tomorrow. Right, of course. You told me that. Well, you know, where are you guys? You're going out for uh, till the 24th or something. You told me you'll be gone for a couple of weeks. So, Yeah, a little over a week. Okay. Yeah, I, my dates are all wacky with me right now. So um, this will probably come out on the end of your guys' little stint there. So what do you guys have planned for the end of, of September into October? No, let's see, we got a week in October where we start in Ohio and we work our way up and end up in Ontario. We're doing like three shows in Ontario. Right on. And then in November, we got, um, we're doing the uh, Joe Mullins Festival. Cool. In Wellington. That's, that's fun. I've played that one once before. And then uh, we'll be uh, on that same weekend. We're doing a show in Virginia where the um, the band that Marshall Wilburn plays with are going to be opening for us. Oh wow! So I'm I'm all excited to see Marshall again. I haven't seen Lynn and Marshall in probably uh, three four years. He was filling in when I played in Renfrew, Ontario. It was the year. I played their Shadow River, I think it would have been 2012 or 2013. They had American Drive there, and there was another band from the States, and he was just, I wasn't familiar with them, 
per se, but I looked at him about five times backstage because they were coming off. And I'm like, you're Marshall Wilburn, aren't you? He's like, yes, I am. And then they had to go right on stage. And I was like, oh, no, I didn't get a chance to say anything, right? So anyways, that was that's my Marshall Wilburn story. If he hears this high, you know, I'm Doug. I didn't get a chance to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I've known I've known Lynn and Marshall since probably nineteen eighty eight. Oh wow. Eighty seven. Something like that. The first time she played the Nova Scotia Festival, and this was back when it was at Ardois. Wowzers. Well, that's a place with some history. <laughs> I believe that, and they're proud. They're down east actually puts that on now and they're they sponsor the show here, so um the Ardois festival well it was down east or the annual nova scotia festival is what it was back then it was just held at the Ardois campground um one i never got to attend at that spot my wife vicky did but i've heard nothing but nostalgic great stories about that place oh yeah bill monroe played there uh bluegrass cardinals played there country gentlemen Lynn Morris Band twice. Uh, Del McCorry came in in 1995 for the 25th anniversary. Wow. What? Uh, 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 let's see who else. Um, Wayne Ferguson. Just all kinds of. That was great. the festival. That was the one when you went to see. That was usually the one that had the bands, right? So oh, yeah. So let's have, um, in closing, Terry, I thank you very much for being on the show. I really, really appreciate it. And um, do you have any stories from Ardois? Anything, uh, nice, a good story? Or, and if you don't, then maybe one of your famous jokes. You could tell the folks one of your jokes on the way out. It's your choice. Actually, I, I, I will finish off with this. I can't remember what year it was exactly, but I don't know if you remember Ed McCormick. I don't. Okay, Ed McCormick played with Fred Eisner. Oh, okay. A long time. Ago. I have the Bluegrass, uh, the Nova Scotia Ramblers album here. That'd be him on guitar. Uh, he would be on bass. Bass, okay. Uh, he became a preacher and ended up in New Brunswick and started a new band where they would go to the festival, different festivals in the Maritimes on Sunday and do the Sunday service with some gospel songs and there was one year ed mccormick was still it was still nova scotia ramblers there was one year at ardois festival i became ambassador of the festival Hmm. because every american band that came in there they would they wouldn't even they would barely be on site they'd be setting up their record table and there was mr me right right in the middle of all that action Sounds like me. I'd be like the festival greeter, quote unquote, <laughs> for all these American musicians that were coming in to play the festival. And that, it was Ed McCormick that actually presented me the uh, the little crest and the whole the whole shooting match. Right. And from that time on, there was a spell probably about two or three years where I'd do some MC work. Now, imagine that, a little eight-year-old kid MCing a festival. <laughs> right. If it was anyone, I can see it being you, that's for sure. <laughs> the stuff I used to come out with, uh, 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 if I, can, I could go back. <laughs> I can only imagine. Awesome. All right, Terry. Well, thank you very much. Like you said, I got a good hour here. That's great, man. So um, I should have this out within a week. and. Hopefully, by the time you get home from the uh, from the uh, tour with the Spinny Brothers, I hopefully should have it up right around then. Um, if uh, folks, if you're listening, you can check them his uh, music out. Spinny Brothers have Facebook. They have a website, Twitter. Spinnybrothers.com. Um, and if you like the show, folks, if you're listening for the first time because you're a Spinny Brothers fan and you want to do my show a favor, the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast, we would love it if you could. If you have iTunes or any way to look at iTunes, the best way you can help our show is to go to iTunes, search the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast, subscribe if you want, but leave a rating and a review. The more of those I get, the better it looks for my show. So if you've enjoyed it, even if it's a one-star rating, it's better than none, I think, right? So I would appreciate that. Terry, thanks again, man. It was real nice talking to you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you sooner than later. I hope so. I really enjoyed it. Awesome. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Okay, bye now.
All right, folks. Well, that was my interview with Terry Poirier of the Spinning Brothers Bluegrass Band. I hope you folks enjoyed it. Um, and like I said, rate and subs- and uh, review us on iTunes. Subscribe. Check us out on SoundCloud.com. And uh, or email us with questions or comments at the Maritime Bluegrass Podcast at Hotmail.com. I'll be doing another show here relatively quickly for a preview for the award show that's coming up on October the 15th and possibly have an interview with some of the people who are nominated for the awards there. But until then, really hope you folks enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you on down the line. Well, good morning, Captain. Oh, Captain. Please won't you lay your head on my shoulder and you know that we get a little older every day.